Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. My name is Pete Pizzatello and with me today I'm happy to welcome Michael Mori from the Bluebird Network. He is the President and Chief Executive Officer. Michael, thank you for joining us today. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, it's been an interesting conversation when we spoke earlier and, and something that I do want to get into in a minute about, you made a comment about um, how communities and, and municipalities can become fiber friendly, right? And it's a really interesting concept. So we're going to dig into that. But before we do, it'd be really helpful for us to understand a little bit about um, how you ended up here today as the president of Bluebird Network and, and your personal journey to um, to help broadband in the United States and help different communities bring that to their, their communities. Yeah, well, you know, um, I could probably take up the entire podcast uh, with my journey, but I'm not going to do that for you today. Um, I, I started a long time ago, um, was an architecture undergraduate at University of Southern California, then got a uh, master's in business administration. And when the architecture thing didn't work out, I thought, well, let's let's see what's the greatest and hottest thing going on. And back when I got out of school, it was the... Uh, telecommunications breakup. AT&T was one of the largest companies in the world. They were breaking it up into various different parts, and I found myself in perhaps one of the most exciting parts of, of, of business at the time, which was the telecommunications industry, and I found myself in an, in an environment where I could learn a tremendous amount. I worked for AT&T for 13 years, um, and I probably, you know, learned uh, more in 13 years than most people can in a lifetime. But I found myself at the end of that time with AT&T, um, I found myself at a company called Electric Lightwave, which was one of the newfangled telephone and internet companies. And um, the truth is, when we started doing internet, I didn't even, I mean, w my team, we were installing and installing internet, but most of us didn't know what it was, and certainly most of our customers didn't understand what it was. And it became such a huge part of communications over time. It was great to be involved in its infancy. That's also when I, I was in charge of eight cities across uh, uh, Electric Lightwave's uh, network in the Western United States. I built fiber, thousands, of, uh, thousands and thousands of miles of fiber. And that's where I learned you know, the fiber industry. That's where I learned the Internet industry. Um, and then I found myself going from there to moving to the Midwest uh, to a company called Nuvox, which is another one of those newfangled telephone companies. I was one of the officers here in St. Louis. We had 30 cities across the nation, um, and um, I, I enjoyed doing that for a time. Then found myself as a CEO of a startup a VoIP company, Voice Over Internet Protocol company, because it was one of the newest things around. I did that for about eight years and uh, found myself pulled back into the fiber industry uh, in 2012 when I was asked to uh, come be the president and CEO of Bluebird Network, which is in the Midwest. And we now have almost a 10,000-mile almost a fiber network 
um, uh, spanning um, Missouri, Illinois, and some of the surrounding states. So that's how I found myself where I am. Um, does that uh, any other questions you have no, for me on that? No, it was great. It was great context. I appreciate that. And so you've done a little bit of everything. And um, so you explain a little bit about Bluebird Network in um, your regional provider, focusing on the tier two to four cities. Um, I think you've characterized that before. Um, any specific um, capabilities that you want to highlight about Bluebird? Well, um, I, I think you kind of hit it there a little bit. I mean, um, if you think about the major tier one cities, I always like to call them, uh, you know, it used to be the NFL cities right. and Los Angeles and Los Angeles, but now that Los Angeles has got themselves a football <laughs> team or two, we, uh, uh, but it's the NFL cities like Kansas city, St. Louis, Chicago. And if you look at those cities, there are a number of companies that are building fiber there. I mean, almost all of the major companies are building there. There might be, you know, eight or nine people building in each of those cities. So it tends not to be, that difficult if you're a business to find a great company to, to work with. But the moment you step outside of those areas and you go to places like Springfield, Illinois, or Springfield, Missouri, um, or Jefferson City, um, Missouri, you know, these second and third tier cities, they start to find that there's usually a telephone company and an internet, uh, a telephone company and a cable company, and that's it. Right. And and usually uh, customers in those uh, in those areas uh, find things they don't like about both. Um, and and if only there was somebody else. And so what our company has made our expertise is densifying or overbuilding those second and third and even sometimes fourth tier cities in the Midwest. And then tying those cities to those major markets like St. Louis, Kansas City, and Chicago, and Chicago, because when you're in a, you know, Springfield, Illinois, or Frank Springfield, Missouri, and you're doing the, you you're getting on the internet, or you're making a phone call, um, or you're doing a video call, um, usually those calls need, to, uh, or, or making a cell phone call, typically those those communications need to get to one of those tier one cities before they can be connected. So um, Bluebird really makes a specialty of connecting second, third, and fourth tier cities to all of the major communications centers in the major markets, like all of the data centers, all of the carrier hotels, um, in the cell tower industry, we call the places where the cell phone calls come to mobile telephone switching offices or MITSOs. So we try to make sure in those major markets we hit all those places so we can connect the rural locations to them. And then the other piece that we do is we do have a great underground data center down in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, one of the nicest places for you to protect your data any place in the Midwest. Um, and so people who get onto our network, we can either build fiber to them, they can build fiber to us, or they can get on our network by coming into our underground data center. So that's probably a good overview of what Bluebird Network is and what our expertise is. Yeah, no, that was great. It was helpful. And I think it's interesting. So you're kind of bridging the gap between these large NFL cities and these smaller municipalities. So you've seen the range of thinking, right, where there's folks that are maybe on the on the leading edge and understanding the impact of broadband on their communities and really trying to go out of their way to drive economic development and work partnering with providers. And then you've 
you're dealing with smaller municipalities that are unsure of the path and distrusting of providers that are coming in. Um, so, you know, that's, I think, really what we wanted to structure the rest of this conversation about is, it was when we were talking about earlier, is how do you help municipalities become fiber-friendly? Well, what, is, what does that mean? And what are some things that people are doing to prevent good partnering and partnerships to help accelerate that type of innovation? And what are some things that people can do to um, get out of their own way, if you will? Right. Well, so, okay, so uh, there, are, there are a lot of different um, kind of facets of this. But if you think about any municipality, there are a number of different types of customers there. There are residential customers. There are business customers. There are governmental customers. There's, there's banks, finance, medical. Um, and all of these types of businesses or, or entities have different needs and areas of focus. Um, what, what tends to happen in most municipalities is because votes are driven by, you know, the the masses, right? Right. They tend to they tend to focus on trying to get fiber into residences, okay? And sometimes that uh, uh, focus on just the residences um, can be a disadvantage. So um, when I talk to um, uh, to, you know, when I talk to any uh, governmental officials, I always try to talk about how do you uh, create environments that are as flexible as possible to encourage fiber builds to all segments of your uh, of your communities by all types of providers. Um, and the more flexible you are um, in the, your approaches, the more and, and the more supportive you are of the various different people in the industry, the more fiber-friendly that I would say you are. And um, the less flexible you are and the more that you try to get involved in the businesses of, of communications, the less fiber-friendly I would say you are. Um, and so you you know if you know if you want me to I can I can kind of step through some of the various different ways I've seen this. Yeah. So the, that last point is interesting. So you mentioned trying you know municipalities two things one understanding all the stakeholders in their community and, and using a more holistic view of how to make those decisions and and plans and then the second point there about getting into the business of broadband. Right. Can you just explain that one a little bit clearer? Yeah. Well, so, so the, so the, 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 you know, if you're, you're running for some kind of public office, the, the, the natural thing when people say, oh, I, I don't have broadband is to say, well, I can fix that. Our city will just get into the communications business. We'll just do it for you. Okay. <laughs> right. Because they have, they, you know, right. I mean, um, and, and it sounds so easy, right. Um, but it's, it is really hard, um, it's hard to be a good government. It's hard to be a good communications provider. Doing both is super hard. Okay. Yep. And so, and so, I've always, you know, I've always felt that um, when I have seen um, municipalities get into the business of being a communications provider, most of them are not tremendously successful. Where they are actually trying to, you know, sell to the customers, bill them, collect the bills, you know, um, 
build the infrastructure, finance it more. And, and, and what I, what I mean by successful is I mean an entity that, you know, cause commercial businesses have to be profitable. So I'm talking about somebody that provides a good quality service in a way that's profitable so that the um, community isn't having to subsidize those efforts. And it, I think it's hard to find uh, many successful public providers of communication services. And I don't think it's really um, um, the community's fault. I just think it's, it's, it's just so hard to be a good successful communications provider. And, and I think that trying to do that along with being a great government, I just think it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. I, so my first thought, go ahead. Yeah. And I agree. And I think that there are a handful of use of examples where we've seen um, public providers over the long term be um, successful, right? There's a lot of startups and they kind of fizzle out, it gets too hard or they kind of sell off at some point in time. Um, but there are, you know, there are a few models. I and and there's some things that we're going to talk about a little bit later on that I'm wondering if that's going to change a little bit um, in the future. I I personally don't think you are going to see public uh, uh, communities that are actually in the business over the long term be successful. I do think that you're going to find some people that in the short term can't be, but it's just the the will to continue to do it on an ongoing basis, I think it's just too tough. I do think there are great ways to support the communications industry. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've seen some models where um, there are communities um, that have the need to build fiber for their own use. Okay. Right. You see utility, you see utility companies, you see governments, you see, you know, they, they have to get fiber between all of the, the lights or the uh, the 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 um, um, you know the, the the meters and all those different things yeah. for their own information and why if you're going to dig up the streets and you're going to put fiber in or conduit in why not put more of that in and then make that available to communications providers and I've got to tell you I you know that's an economies of scale thing and I think that that can be one of the models that I think makes sense uh, for what I would call a, a, a communications-friendly um, uh, government. So you, I, I've got, you know, I'm XYZ government. I've got to build this stuff. Let's make a bunch more available. Right. Now, I, I've seen this, and, and what happens is they make it available to all communications providers. So somebody like me, Bluebird, and I was planning to go through your community, but you've already um, put fiber all over the place, and you're making it available to me at an, a very, an inexpensive price to allow me to use that fiber. And then I can put the equipment on either end, and I can solicit the customers, and I can do the billing, and I can put the services on, but my cost structure is significantly lower lower because you did it at the time that you dug up the streets, that's an amazing way to do it. Now, you know, I, I think it's a great way to do it. Right. Um, so how do you, how do, I think it can, go ahead. how do you get ahead of that planning curve? Right. I mean, cause there, there takes a lot of thought through that and there are a lot of, there's a whole ecosystem out there around advising municipalities around how to approach this. I mean, are they preaching the same kind of dig once mentality and partnership mentality, or are you fighting some of that as well? Well, what I have seen in general is that there is there are more uh, consultants out there pushing the former, meaning the be the communications partner, be a carrier neutral, um, you know, communications company, right, as opposed to being a fiber 
uh, a fiber provider. So, uh, yeah, so uh, the the more more consultants are out there pushing the the type that I don't think is terribly uh, communication-friendly and less are pushing the other approach. I don't know why that is. I I could speculate. Perhaps there's more money in in, uh, managing that over the time for the advisors, but I don't personally think it's in the best interest of of, of, of government entities to do their own stuff. But fiber is great. Um, now, I have seen pitfalls with putting your own fiber in, and one of those pitfalls is that, you know, you put this fiber in, you rent it out to companies like mine to use it, um, and, and, you, and you make a good amount of money. But what happens is, is if you don't take the money that you make out of that and invest it into continuing to expand the um, the uh, fiber infrastructure, then you could fall behind and all of a sudden run out of fiber um, availability. And I have seen that be the Achilles heel of that approach. They build it, it works great, a bunch of people rent some fiber, and of course, by the way, the fiber gets used primarily in the densest parts of those cities, and then it, they run out of capacity, and now it's not uh, available. Um, and and so that that can be a, a downfall of that kind of approach. It can work great, right. um, but what tends to, what tends to happen is is that uh, governments will combine building out their own fiber with a very high uh, right of way fee uh, charge for uh, companies like us to build our own fiber. So they they do that to try to encourage you to use their own fiber, but then the fiber runs out. The right-of-way fees are very high, and we'll talk about right-of-way fees in a second. And so a company like mine says, well, I'm going to skip this town. Right. So they've, you know, they had a great idea. They were going right down the right path, but then all of a sudden they didn't implement it correctly, and then it actually became a disadvantage or a, a disincentive to somebody build in their area. So you started touching on that next topic, right? I mean, what are some of the things that people or communities are doing um, knowingly or unknowingly that are you know, not becoming, not positioning themselves as communication friendly? So right-of-way fees, um, zoning, we talked oh, a little bit about. Right-of-way fees, right-of-way fees and franchise fees are perhaps the biggest uh, communication unfriendly thing that a community can do. If you want fiber providers to build into your area, make it as inexpensive as you can. A right-of-way fee is typically a fee per foot of fiber built that a company has to pay every single year uh, just for the right of having that fiber in that area. And a typical right-of-way fee could be $2.50 a month. Uh, I'm sorry, $2.50 per foot per year. So if you build a mile, right, a little over 5,000 feet of fiber, just for the right to let that fiber stay in the ground, not to serve a company, a customer, not to put equipment on either end, not to construct it, none of that, it costs you, what, um, uh, 5,000 times 2.5, $12,500 a year just to let it sit there and do nothing. Plus, you had to pay to put it in there. Yeah. yeah. And it might have cost you fifty to $100,000 to have put it there. Well, <laughs> why would I want to put fiber in a place that's going to charge me that kind of money? Right. I'm not going to. I'm going to find other places to do it. And then you have, you have some communities that are even trying to, and by the way, so, okay, you pay that right-of-way fee, but maybe you share the cost with somebody. Maybe I get together with another fiber company, uh, 
and we put this fiber in the ground and we share the cost. Well, guess what? You know, so that we can make the cost half as much. There are some communities that are putting in place laws that if there are multiple inter- parties with interests in the fiber, that you have to pay the right-of-way fee two times. <laughs> So, okay. so that same yeah that same mile of fiber now we have to pay twenty five thousand dollars a year just for it to be there. So explain I mean, explain the logic there, right? I mean, if you if you really believe in the value of broadband right into your community and the value that it's going to bring, um, you know, this is simply just choosing revenue over you know potential capabilities or services to your to your uh, citizens. I mean, so is it just short sightedness or is there some other motive at play? You you have hit the nail on the head. It, it is a thought of as a revenue source, and and they are not the people who are passing those laws do not realize that they are trading off um, community benefits uh, for that revenue source. It's just it's just they don't they think well this is a this fiber thing it's a valuable resource to be able to get fiber in here well actually it's only a valuable resource if you can make money doing it right. if you can't make money doing it then it's not valuable so um you know so anyway i i just think that that's short sighted yeah yeah and what about zoning we talked a little bit about zoning anything that you want to comment on there yeah yeah so so um Typically, you can build fiber almost anywhere except when they have laws where you can't cut a street because maybe the street was paved recently or something like that. So that's when you're talking about in the ground, okay? But one of the less expensive ways to deploy uh, communications is in the air, either fiber put on poles or wireless communications, right? Right. Um, and to do wireless communications, you need to be able to get up in the air. You need to be on a pole. You need to be able to put your antenna someplace. And right now we have a lot of, of, of communities that are putting in place or have put in place laws that make it very, very difficult to either you know, put, you know, get up in the air. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, what, what it looks like, you know, oh, I don't want to have a tower in my area because it will look unsightly. I get that. I understand that, but it's another trade-off. Right. If it's difficult for me to put something up in the air, I mean, I actually know right now of a second and third tier city, cities that really, really want to increase the communications in their area. And right now, they have a uh, a wireless communication company that is working hard to put gobs of bandwidth up in the air. You've heard of 5G, right? Yep. They're trying to put gobs and gobs right. and gobs of bandwidth there. They are trying to increase the throughput of data in that city and those two cities that I'm talking about by tremendous amounts, but they can't get it done. I've been contracted to lay the fiber to those locations, but guess what? (laughs) My contract is delayed because they can't get the zoning and the uh, um, uh, ability to put those antennas up where they need them to provide the service into those towns. It's very difficult. That's, That's crazy. Sure. I mean, if you look at just the architecture well, <laughs> of 5G with the small cell towers, I mean, it's going to be, that's the only way to get it there, right? So something's got to get it. It is the only way to, well, absolutely. And now there are some, um, so so there are some states that are putting in 
place ordinances and laws that make it easier uh, for um, uh, wireless providers to put uh, gear up and towers and make it tougher for municipalities to make it hard on them. Um, but it's slow going. And uh, so, you know, as, as quickly as you have some law um, put in place that makes it easier for communications, you get another law that gets put in place that makes it harder. <laughs> All right. So there's a lot of issues. Um, but I guess, you know, on the brighter side, you know, what are things that you've seen work as that effective or efficient partnership model between um, municipalities and and communication providers? Well, well, I mean, again, I, I, one of my favorite models and I'll actually name a town. How about that? OK, right. I haven't said the names of any town so far, because <laughs> so far we've been talking about things that haven't been working. Um, but one of my favorite is Marshall, Missouri. Uh, Marshall has built fiber to all the businesses and many of the residences throughout the area. They have a very um, um, uh, uh, reasonable pricing fee for people like me to utilize their fiber. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and when they run out of capacity, they replace it and upgrade it. Um, Bluebird um, we have fiber that runs to and to and from the city. We haven't built any fiber in Marshall, Missouri. We just buy the fiber from Marshall. Uh, we turn it up quickly, and we are very happy with their program. And guess what? Anybody in Marshall can get gobs of bandwidth anytime they want for very reasonable prices. You want 100 gigabits in Marshall, Missouri? I'll turn it up tomorrow. Marshall, Missouri, I don't know if it's considered a third or a fourth tier city, but um, Marshall, Missouri has better capabilities than most towns anywhere in America. And well, So how did they get there? Is it just good uh, leadership? You know, there, it, And that's, that's the thing that I see talking to the different communities, that there's a range of folks that are in charge of driving this vision with their communities, right? Some of them come out of legacy, um, like co-op, electric world. Some of them come out of the providers. Uh, some of them just are business people that, you know, kind of stepped into this space. I mean, do, is there anything specific to Marshall that you've seen work in terms of that persona or that, that, that archetype that's helped that sh vision? Well, I, I, the truth is, is I don't know enough about the people in Marshall that made it happen because I, you know, I became the CEO of Bluebird back in 2012, and Marshall was already doing this. So, um, you know, so uh, you know, they they've actually built it out more since then. Um, I honestly don't know where the vision came for it, okay. but I like the vision, and um, and it, you know, I I think it's really hard for. Um, government employees and government um, elected officials to be experts in communication. They all know that they should, they want to do something, but they're not sure what it is. So, so it, it's, it, so they, they, they'll try almost anything and, and they really like it when consultants tell them to do it. Um, right. Because then that way they kind of press out, you know, it's kind of a third party person to tell them. So I'm not really sure of how Marshall got to where it is, but I do love where they got, and it's one of my preferred uh, ways of dealing with a city. But if, if you're not going to build the fiber yourself, then, you know, two ways that I would suggest it. Number one, get your fees and your approvals as low as possible. Anything you can do to eliminate red tape or costs will cause more people to come to your town. And if after that you still don't have people coming to your town, then instead of getting in the business yourself, 
make um, uh, grants available to that are flexible grants, not grants that have so many restrictions on them, nobody wants to do them, flexible grants that incent you to build into those areas. Those are kind of at a very high level what I think works. One of the things that I've talked a lot about is the open access network model. I just want to circle back on that as well because I have seen um, collections of communities getting into a, a version of the open access model to kind of be the middle but and stay out of the retail side of things. Um, and I, and I'm, so I'm curious about what your thoughts are in terms of what's the current definition of open access and how you see municipalities um, potentially leveraging or staying away from that type of model. Yeah. Well, so I'm not a fan. I'm more of a fan of ac open access than I am a fan of uh, a, a government actually becoming a retail provider of services. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's the lesser of two evils. But uh, when, when you do open access, what's, what's happening is, is you're depending on uh, some other service provider Essentially, it's an off-net service provider to me. So it's, a, it's a, another service provider, and I'm depending on them to meet my um, service level agreement and my quality requirements that I have. And so Bluebird has very, very high quality requirements, and so I'm, I just have to trust that they can provide it. Uh, if, if they're a super good service provider, they're really good at it, they're as good as Bluebird is, and they have competitive prices – and they have the products available that I want to buy, then I would buy from them. But you typically don't find that, right? right? I mean, you know, typically, it's, it's tough for a government to meet the kind of standards that we have. Remember, um, some of our, well, just our customers, in addition to being those, those governments and those hospitals and those uh, finance and those banks that I talked about, our customers are also other communications providers like AT&T and Verizon and Sprint and, and, and T-Mobile and, and U.S. Cellular and, you know, Spectrum and all of those people. And those people expect us to have really good service. Right. And so if we aren't perfect, they don't want to buy from us. And if we use somebody who isn't perfect, they don't want to buy from us. So, an, so therefore... Open access, but you know, I would far rather provide it myself than buy it through a government entity that's providing those services. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a good point. We we hear that a lot in terms of the municipalities as they mature and they get to a certain subscriber rate that the ability to have service levels and customer service um, at meeting those expectations becomes a challenge, um, especially on the residential side. Um, the um, all right, so. We've covered a lot of ground, I guess. What you know from a parting shots? What are what are some things that uh, municipal municipal leaders can do tomorrow to start becoming you know more fiber friendly? You know, what's a couple pieces of advice you can provide? Okay. Find out if your if your city is charging right of way fees, and find out a way to reduce them or eliminate them. Number one. Number two. Um, if you already are providing some kind of fiber uh, availability, make sure that you maintain the supply of that fiber. If you have requirements for uh, construction uh, that slows down uh, wireless deployment, find ways to reduce those uh, those way uh, those requirements or those. Uh, um, restrictions on 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 um, building that. Uh, 
Um, and if you are looking for a way to encourage um, communications in your community, don't decide to do it yourself. You will wish you hadn't. <laughs> so no, that would be my. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all it's all great advice. I really appreciate it. Um, getting your insight from the world that you you've been operating in, and I think there's a lot of activity going on in this marketplace. Um, every event that I go to, there's you know hundreds of folks that are still trying to figure out how do they get into this. So there's a lot of folks that are haven't figured out their their path forward. So trying to give them advice from your side of the, the, the fence is I think really uh, extremely useful to things to think about because how do you accelerate the time to service to their citizens and how do you make a sustainable model? Right. I mean, cause there's a lot of reputation. There's a lot of public money on the line here. So um, yeah. get the people who know how to do it uh, and find ways to encourage them to do it rather than you getting into the business. That's what I would say. That's great. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us today. Um, how can people find out more about Bluebird? Go out to the web, www.bluebirdnetwork.com, and uh, take a look. Great. Thanks again. That was Michael Morey from the Bluebird Network, and we're talking about how to be fiber-friendly. Hopefully, you take this advice to heart and start looking at better ways to get broadband into your community faster. 